Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. It's with the help of folks like yourself that Derek Rear Ministries can bring God's life-changing and impactful gospel to over 100,000 people around the world each week. Please consider partnering with Derek Rear Ministries to help spread God's message even further via radio, television, and the internet. Getting started is easy. Go to DerekGreer.com. That's DerekGreer.com. And select the green Donate button at the top right of the screen. Thank you and God bless. Hello, this is the Live Big Broadcast. Today we will hear a classic message from Bishop Greer. We believe this word will bless you, so let's get into this classic teaching as we continue our previous broadcast. And it's amazing that he could still speak coherently from Calvary's cross and still speak love. You got to see the transcendence of his, 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 his holiness here. Even in the midst. I, 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 don't, I, I can't, that's just too much. But all those hours, and he's there. He takes it. Then the poison starts taking effect. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? He feels the poison. And God sees all the disgrace, all the shame, all the filth, and he turns his back. He who knew no sin. Listen, if you've been taking heroin or heroin for a while, it takes a whole lot of heroin to have the same effect. Jesus had never taken any sin, but he had doses that would choke heroin addicts. I mean, people who have artfully sinned generation after generation, their daddies, their granddaddies, they've passed down sin. All of that hit him as one who had never, ever partaken, never had a monkey on his back. You hear what I'm saying? And he absorbed that in himself. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen. All the bad that we deserved came on Jesus. But all the good that Jesus deserved came on us. That's the great exchange. He took my sin. My garment of filth, disgust. He took it and said, I'll wear that for you. Matter of fact, cover me with all your filth so God can't even recognize me from you. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in your place looking just like you. And then what I want you to do is take my clothes. They stripped him of his garments. Calvary's cross. He said, now listen, I'm going to take your clothes. Now you take my clothes. I am robed in righteousness. You're robed in sin. So let's exchange. He became no sin who knew no sin. That we could now 
walk around as if we're little Jesus, robed in his righteousness, robed in in his love, robed in in his relationship with the Father. That's why Jesus said, listen, when you pray, don't 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 you dare. So I try to approach this in your own strength. You pray in my name based on my righteousness with the father, based on my holiness. Isaiah 53.10. We're going to use the New King James Version here. We're making good time this morning. I switched translations here because of the word nefesh, which is translated either life or soul in the Bible. In the NIV, it's translated life, and rightfully so. There's nothing lost in translating the soul life because the soul is the place of uh, uh, human life. Let me say a place, not the place. Again, Isaiah, 700 years before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, has a clearer picture of what happened on the cross than eyewitnesses. He sees this thing. It hasn't happened yet, but he sees Jesus. And Isaiah makes this comment. He says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It's one thing to kind of twist my arm and it hurt, but a bruise endures. A bruise you could touch after the fact and it still hurts. And many of us, again, we imagine that we've gone through pain God has not experienced. He was not just hurt. He was bruised. He had pain that, that, that endured. Yet it pleased the Lord. Now, what type of God would be happy about hurting someone? Do you know God was happy that Jesus took our pain on the cross? Not because he's malicious, but because he loves you and I. In fact, one place in the Bible, it says that, that, that he prayed, Jesus prayed that, that we would know that God loved us as much as he loved him. Imagine, I have two boys, Derek and David. Imagine if one of my boys, I didn't want to say it, something terrible happened and we had to do some type of exchange to get him back. But my other son said, listen, daddy, I'll go in there. Daddy, I'll take the beat down. I'll take the hurt. But guess what? Imagine if I was God. And in my knowing, I knew that when my son went in, both of them would come out. Do you hear me? When God sacrificed Jesus, not only did he know we would come out, he knew he would come out. So even though he had to turn his back on the father and he was hurt that this thing had to happen. It pleased him to know I'm getting both back. And he felt, God felt in his economy, it was a fair exchange. The pain Jesus suffered was worth getting either David or DJ or whoever one that goes. You hear what I'm saying? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, according to Isaiah, Isaiah understood the old covenant. And he's saying that Jesus' soul was either a sin or a guilt offering. You hear me? So when the Bible speaks of a guilt offering or a sin offering, it's representative of what happened to Jesus Christ. It's a foreshadow. Again, it took five offerings at least to get a full picture of what Christ is a peace offering. There's all fellowship, all these offerings to get a picture of what happened at Calvary. But Isaiah said, listen, his soul is just like that guilt or that sin offering. What happens in a sin offering? Well, the supplicant or the worshiper would come to the priest 
and he would never come alone. He wouldn't come based on his own works because his works are the one that made him need to go to the priest. You hear me? He came with a sheep. If you're a priest, it was a bull, some goats or whatever. You didn't come empty handed. And that's the problem. Y'all coming with your own righteousness, not in the hands of your Jesus. You came with an animal and you put that animal before the priest and it had to be spotless without blemish. Your hand in the hand of Jesus. And then the priest, what would he do? He lay his hand on the sole or the head of the animal. And it, 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 it represented the transfer of the sin in the man to the animal. Okay, he put his hand on the animal and then the man would confess his sin. And as the man confessed his sin, the priest was saying that sin is going into the animal. So now what has to happen to the animal? The animal dies and the man lives. All of that was a prefiguring of Jesus Christ. Where the Lamb of God died so we can live. That's the great exchange at the cross. So at Calvary, Jesus, both the offering and the high priest, Jesus puts his hand on himself as we lift our hands to him. And all the sin, now now there it was symbolic in the Old Covenant. In the New Testament, it's actual and authentic. There was an actual transfer. Now all the sin in me goes on Jesus. And as Jesus was slain perfectly, at three o'clock, he said, it is what? Finished. And that was the time of the afternoon sacrifice. Representing, I am the sin offering. I am the guilt offering. It's finished. It's done. God does not want to hold your sins against you. Even in the Old Testament economy, he provided lambs. Pointing to the fact. He's not trying to disqualify. He's trying to qualify you. But it's through the finished work of our Jesus, our Lord, and our Christ. Isaiah 53 and 5. Instead of killing the man... The priest killed the bull, the sheep, or the goat. Instead of God punishing us, Jesus took our punishment. I want you to get a picture of this so you would stop punishing yourself. You would stop condemning yourself, beating yourself. It's a mockery to Calvary's cross. If you're guilty, repent. Turn to him. Put it on the cross. Walk away free and don't do it anymore. Are you hearing me? Isaiah 53, 5. Isaiah, man, Isaiah's deep and the Holy Ghost got him. And Isaiah says, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. Why do we sabotage ourselves? Because we don't understand what Christ purchased. Why do we have guilty consciences? Because we don't understand what Jesus died to purchase. Isaiah 61 and 10. I'm proud of myself. I made very good time this morning. We're not going to be late. I hope I didn't speak too soon. <laughs> Prophet writes, I delight greatly in the Lord. That's why we're so exuberant, because we have a revelation of these things. We're not putting on. Excited because he bore it, he took it. Chastisement of my peace was upon him. 
My soul rejoiced. Why can my soul rejoice? Because his soul became a sin offering. He paid the price and I stand free. Watch this. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. Now, right here, we're about to discover that salvation is your undergarment because he's going to put another garment on top. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in robes of righteousness. So salvation is the foundation, it's the undergarment. But righteousness is the outer garment. Now, no one in this room would walk out of their house with just their underwear on. Hear me. But many of us, that's exactly what we're doing. We're going into spiritual battle, dealing with demons. We say, Lord, I'm saved. You know, I'm saved. It's like, all you got is your underwear. If you're in combat, you got to put on that full armor. If, you, if, if you're in the midst of combat, you're at a disadvantage if you're in your underwear. Now, you should have on your underwear. Hopefully, everyone in here wore underwear this morning. Underwear is a good thing. Jesus died such that we could have underwear. <laughs> See, you never forget it this way, right? <laughs> but don't stop at the underwear. You got to dress for where you're going. You might be able to sit around your house in your underwear and it's okay. You may be able to just, just, just stay home, worship the Lord, say, thank you, I'm saved. Good. But if you're going to leave, if you're going to do any work for the king, you have to have a revelation of righteousness in order to be effective. Are you with me? Jesus did not just die to save me from wrath. He died. He became sin that I might become righteous. He died so I could feel right with the father. So I could be right with the father. So I could be on the end. Are you hearing me? That I don't have to feel like an outlaw. That I don't have to, to feel like God's going to get me in the next morning. I'm right with God. That feeling that, that God's going to get you is, is a feeling of unrighteousness. So no, you cannot deal in public ministry, in public service. Now listen, you can privately be saved. Great, thank you. But you cannot help nobody without a revelation of your righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become what? Okay. Now notice the scripture did not say he was made sin so we can be saved. That would be accurate. That would be great. I'd rather underwear than nowhere. Right? Nakedness is a sign of poverty. We went over that in our first session. He became sin so that we might become righteous. See, God did more. What's the context of that passage? He did more than just forgive me of my sins. He reconciled me. And here's a point that I always make here, and you need 
to hear it. If someone sins against me, I have to forgive them as Christ forgave me. But some people I don't have to really reconcile with. Imagine if someone came in my house and and beat up somebody. I need to forgive them. But I'd be a fool to let them back in my house. You hear me? People that go through, you know, divorce or something, that the husband beat him or did this anything. And they're like, well, if I forget, I, I, God wants me to forgive him, so I need to let him back. Not necessarily. God's not necessarily saying you need to reconcile the relationship. Now, you might want to reconcile maybe a friendship. You know, it's not either or, and you're not trying to be cold with people. But there's certain levels of intimacy that that person has been disqualified from. Jesus said this way, you can divorce on cause. That's what Jesus taught. And he gave us some of the cause. Cause it was pornea in the Greek. It's covered a whole multitude of inordinate sexual activity. But nonetheless, reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is the goal. You would like the person to become safe enough that you could let him back in. But reconciliation depends on both parties, just like the handshake. My heart may say, "I, I forgive you, and I would love to let you back in," but I have to show wisdom here. God is forgiving, he's love, but he's also wise. If I let you in, you're going to beat me again. And right now, I don't believe the Lord's calling me to another beating. So, listen, when I see you on the street, I'll wave. But you're not coming through those doors again. Did you catch that? But God did not just want to forgive us. He wanted to reconcile with us. He wanted us to have, just like God was walking with Adam in the cool of the eve. See, God can say, I forgive them. I don't want nothing to do with them. Keep them away from me because them people. Just, just don't, don't send them to hell. Don't kill them, but keep them away. God could have took that attitude, but that's not God. He wanted to reconcile. He said, I want to let you back into my house. He calls us the household of faith. He wanted to, to let us back into his chamber so he could speak truth. And he wanted closeness and intimacy. He didn't just want us at afar. He said, draw near to me. And I'll draw near to you. He wanted reconciliation and closeness. Don't settle for forgiveness. He says here, he became sin so we might become what? Righteous. It's one thing to be spared the death penalty. Legally, and we have a couple lawyers in here, it's a completely different thing to be exonerated. When you go to court, they say not guilty. They don't say you're innocent. O.J. Simpson, they said not guilty, but they did not declare his innocence. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some things you could be guilty of and get away with in the court of law because there wasn't appropriate evidence. Maybe the evidence was tampered with. So God, when he calls me righteous, he's just not saying not guilty. He's saying this child is innocent. You hear me? This child has access to every room in my house. She said, you know, in my house, there are many rooms. You hear me? This child has access to everything that mine. I see it. it, That's a whole different revelation where it's not just that God's not charging me. In other words, you know, you you could you. okay, you don't get the death penalties, but many of us, you get 25 years. Say, well, well, God's not going to send me to hell, but he's going to punish me for the rest of the life because of what I did. And that's your concept of God. But God doesn't want to give you seven years, 25 years if you, if you work with him. He'd like to pronounce you innocent before the angels and all the devils of hell. One more scripture and we're through. 
Romans 8, 1 through 3. This is a champion scripture. I do want to add a note here. Many of us are blameless in our spirits where God lives. But in our mind, we're not. In our souls, we're not. So with Ananias and Sapphira, they may have been born again, but God had to deal what was going on in their life or in their soul. If they would have appropriated the forgiveness of Christ and walked in their righteousness, they never would have had that encounter. Please understand the righteousness of God that's been imparted or imputed to us is not a license to go do wrong and say, well, I can get away with it because God is love. It's when, when you realize, oh, I did wrong, you go, oh, God, I'm sorry. Oh, no, Lord, I trust in the cross of Jesus. I trust that he's made me innocent. Forgive me. Lord, help me not to do it again. Lord, everyone I hurt, would you please heal? And that heart, God will protect and keep. But when you're proud like Ananias and Sapphira, you get in trouble. And you find yourself dealing with judgment. Romans 8, 1 through 3. In the end of chapter 7, he's talking about, you know, it's, I, I, I don't do what I want to do, and then what I want to do, I don't do. And he's talking about that war going on in the inside, and, and he's frustrated. But you know what? The, the explanation comes right now. Most sin is connected to condemnation. That'll that take another message to unpack that. But when you damn yourself, hate yourself, you know, I'm just a sinner, I'm just a mess, you do that. You do what you, you, you do. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. What you think of yourself, you will become. You hear me? If you think you're a mess, you act like a mess. But how, how does Paul deal with sin in the church? Nine times out of ten, except when he's dealing with Galatians and religious sins, that's a whole different ballgame. He would say, arise to righteousness, awake, O sleeper. He began to teach them, you are righteous. Why are you behaving like that? And when you get a revelation of your righteousness, you say, you know what? That's not me. That's the old man, oldest, passed away, all things become new. That's not who I am. And when you get that revelation, that's not what I do. I don't sleep with women I'm not married to. I don't lie to people. That's not who I am. That's not part of my family. That's not part of my legacy. That's not, that's not part of my inheritance. What am I doing? I'm, what, what, that's nonsense. But you have to begin to see who you are. And when you begin to see it, it changes what you do. But in Romans 8, 1, 3, this champion scripture says, therefore, connecting it with the end of chapter 7, you can read that on your own. There is in the future when I die and I get to glory. See that messes up messes up our theology there is now right now in this life in the mess you're in with the mistakes you've made if you trust that Jesus Christ was your sin offering your guilt offering that his soul paid the price so now in your soul you don't have to retain the thought and the negativity you've placed it on the head of the scapegoat well, that's the tome, a scapegoat, but here uh, you place it on the head of, of the, the, the lamb of God, the sheep of God. There is now no condemnation. Now, a lot of folks will point their ugly finger at me. And they blame me for all types of ugly things. Let me tell you something. What's the devil's name? Accuser. There are lots of people in the church. They don't have the ministry of reconciliation. They have the ministry of Satan. All they do is find fault and accuse, and they think it's holiness because that's what they learned in the last church because they were under Bishop Warlock. And he didn't have a ministry of reconciliation. Or she. There is now. Right now. You can call me all the names you want now. 
There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I know where I am and whose I am. And right now, as far as my mind is concerned, there is no condemnation. Jesus was made sin with your sinfulness so we could become made righteous, innocent, pure before God with his righteousness. My prayer today is you put on some new clothes. You hear me? Stop robing yourself with your own works. I did this, I did that, and, and God's finding fault. No, take off that old garment. Put on those clothes that were stripped from Jesus on the cross. Begin to walk in his righteousness. Lord, I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Lord, it's my great. That's why I got to stop every few steps to give you praise, Lord. I, I, don't, I don't deserve this. I don't, Lord, but I thank you. While I was a sinner, you loved me. You know, wrap your arms, you know, make, make you want to hug yourself. You know, just, just thinking about what, what, he's, what he's wrapped you in. Jesus died so that we could. Every head bow, every eye. This has been a classic message from Bishop Derek Greer. If you want to learn more about becoming a Christian, or you feel that you need to rededicate your life to Christ, we want to walk you through the steps to do so. Go to gracechurchva.org salvation to find out more and watch videos from Bishop Greer that will guide you into your life in Christ. Again, that's gracechurchva.org salvation. We invite you to worship with us online each Sunday on our YouTube channel at Grace Church VA TV. While you're there, remember to subscribe and hit the notification bell to get all of our latest content. That's our time for today. Until next time, remember, you have what it takes in Christ to live big. Are you a Christian leader, entrepreneur, or lifelong learner seeking to unlock your leadership potential? Dr. Derek Greer's Renaissance Leadership Network provides you with biblical principles and practical life lessons from top leaders, influencers, and experts across the world. It's time to remove limitations and start seeing world-class measurable results in your ministry, business, or otherwise. Go to rlnleadership.com and register for our next free monthly leadership session. That's rlnleadership.com.